Good day and welcome to the Jeff Casella program. Today is Tuesday, October 31st. Yes, it's Halloween. Trick or treat? It depends. We have a lot of tricks coming out of the White House. Not much in the way of treats, but a lot of tricks. A lot of interesting news is happening on the worldwide front. And biblically, things are really heating up. But before we get to all of that, I want to tell you about my mother and father's generation and my grandparents' generation and uh, how wasteful the older generation was. This is going to make you think. In the line at the store, the cashier told the older woman that she should bring her own grocery bag because plastic bags, well, they weren't good for the environment. The woman apologized to him and explained, we didn't have that green thing back in my day. Clerk responded, that's, that's our problem today. The former generation didn't care enough to save our environment. Sure, you've heard that before of the new generation. Well, he was right. That generation didn't have the green thing in its day. Back then, they returned their milk bottles, soda bottles, and beer bottles to the store. The store sent them back to the plant. The plant washed them, sterilized them, refilled them, so it could use the same bottles over and over and over. So they were really recycled. But they didn't have the green thing back in the customer's day. Their day, they walked upstairs because they didn't have an escalator in every store and office building. They walked to the grocery store and didn't climb into a 300-horsepower machine every time. They had to go just two blocks. But the lady was right. They didn't have that green thing back in her day. Back then, they washed the baby's diapers because they didn't have the throwaway kind. They dried clothes on an outside line, not in an energy-gobbling machine, burning up 220 volts. Wind and solar power really did dry the clothes. Kids got hand-me-down clothes from their brothers and their sisters, not always the brand-new clothing. But again, that lady was right. They didn't have the green thing back in her day. Back then, they had one TV, one radio in the house, not a TV in every room, and the TV had a small screen about the size of a handkerchief, not a screen the size of the state of Montana. In the kitchen, they blended and stirred by hand because, well, they didn't have any electric machines to do everything for you. When they packaged a fragile item to send it in the mail, they used just wadded up old newspaper to cushion it, not styrofoam or even plastic bubble wrap. Back then, they didn't fire up an engine and burn gasoline just to cut the lawn. They used a push mower. You know, those that ran on human power, they exercised by working. So they didn't need to go to a health club to run on treadmills that also operate on electricity. But she's right. They didn't have the green thing back then. They drank from a fountain when they're thirsty instead of using a cup or a plastic bottle every time they had a drink of water. 
They refilled, refilled their writing pens with ink instead of buying a new pen. They replaced the razor blades in a razor instead of just throwing it away, the whole razor, just because the blade got gold. But again, they didn't have that green thing back then. Back then, people took the streetcar or a bus and kids rode their bikes to school or rode the school bus instead of turning their moms into a 24-hour taxi service. They had one electrical outlet in a room, not an entire bank of sockets to power a dozen appliances. And they didn't need a computerized gadget to receive a signal beam from satellites 2,000 miles out in space in order to find the nearest pizza joint. But isn't it sad the current generation laments how wasteful the old folks were just because they didn't have the green thing back then? <laughs> All they need is a couple of lessons and smart. I certainly hope that you enjoyed that. That was some good reading and uh, makes you uh, open up your mind a little bit. The wastefulness of the older generation. My, my. A lot of things may come back to haunt. And now let's turn to some good humor. For this is the time of the year where all of us 65 and over are being bombarded by the telephone, by the television, by the radio, and by all the commercials on medical insurance. So this was a funny email that he got that I got from a close Christian friend, Hardy Martin. First thing that came up, the question was, what does HMO stand for? Well, this is actually a variation of the phrase, hey, Mo. Its roots go back to a concept pioneered by Mo the Three Stooges, who discovered that a patient could be made to forget the pain in his foot if he was poked hard enough in the eye. <laughs> well, I just joined an HMO. How difficult will it be to choose the doctor I want? Answer, only slightly more difficult than choosing your parents. Your insurer will, will provide you with a book. The doctors basically fall into two categories. First one, those who are no longer accepting new patients. And the second one, those who will see you but are no longer participating in the plan. Hey, but don't worry. The remaining doctor who is still in the plan and accepting new patients has an office only a half a day, half a day's drive away and a diploma from a third world country. <laughs> so true. About another question. Do all diagnostic procedures require pre-certification? Answer, no. Only those you need. <laughs> and another question. Can I get coverage for my pre-existing conditions? Answer, certainly, as long as they don't require any treatment. The next question, what happens if I want to try alternative forms of medicine? Answer, 
you'll need to find alternative forms of payment. Question? My pharmacy plan only covers generic drugs, but I need the name brand. I tried the generic medication, but it gave me a stomachache. What should I do? Well, we'll go back to the first one, the HMO. Poke yourself in the eye. Next question, what if I'm away from home and I get sick? Answer, <laughs> you really shouldn't do that. Next question, I think I need to see a specialist, but my doctor insists he can handle my problem. Can a general practitioner really perform a heart transplant right in his or hers office? Answer, hard to say, but considering that all you're risking is a $20 copayment, there's no harm in giving it a shot. And the last question, will health care be different in the next decade? And the answer, no. But if you call right now, you might be able to get an appointment by then. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that. I think that's, uh, that's wonderful. And uh, we all need some good humor. So before we get to the, the Bible lesson today, I do have one more. I want to talk to you about an obituary that I came upon. And we'll see if you know who the obituary is. My parents told me about Mr. Blank Blank early in my life and told me I would do well to call on him when making decisions. It seems he was always around in my early years, but less and less as time passed by until today. And there I read his obituary. Today, we mourn the passing of a beloved old friend who has been with us for many years. No one knows for sure about how long he was since his birth records were long ago lost in bureaucratic or bureaucratic, bureaucratic red tape. He'll be remembered as having cultivated such valuable lessons as knowing when to come in and out of the ring, why the early bird gets the worm, why life isn't always so fair, and maybe, maybe it was my fault. He lived a simple life, sound financial policies, don't spend more than you earn, and reliable parenting strategies, such as adults, not children, are in charge. His health began to deteriorate rapidly when well-intentioned but overbearing regulations were set in place. Reports of a six-year-old boy charged with sexual harassment for kissing a classmate. Teens suspended from school for using mouthwash after lunch, and a teacher fired for reprimanding an unruly student. This only worsened the condition. He lost ground when parents attacked teachers for doing the job they themselves failed to do in disciplining their unruly children. 
It declined even further when schools were required to get parental consent to administer aspirin, suntan lotion, or a sticky plaster to a student. But they could not inform the parents when a student became pregnant and wanted to have an abortion. He finally gave up the will to live after a woman failed to realize that a steaming cup of coffee was hot. She spilled a little on her lap and was promptly awarded a very large settlement. He was preceded in death by his parents. Who was he? Mr. Common Sense. Truth and Trust, his wife. Excuse me. His parents were Truth and Trust, his wife, Discretion, his daughter, Responsibility, and his son, Reason. He survived by three stepbrothers. I know my rights. Someone else is to blame, and I'm a victim. Not many attended his funeral because so few realized he was gone. Author unknown. So well said. So well said. Common sense. To many, where is that gone? We look back at the past. Many times we revel in the past. But we still have the ability to change the future. And this is one of the things that I want to discuss. For the Bible lesson contains what happened also tragically a couple of weeks ago. Where a demon-possessed man walked into a bowling alley in Maine. and into a bar pool establishment in Maine and murdered several men and women as well as partially putting other men and women as well as children in the hospital. What can be done? What have we come to? And is there a way that these things can be stopped? Stay with me. Because it's going to get interesting. Where you may agree or not agree. But I want to give you some very interesting things to think about. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, the little bit of humor. the obituary on common sense uh, about older people and what their usages were and how amazingly they recycled when recycling wasn't cool. It just goes to show you that uh, they're pretty smart people. Then we get to the subject of, of the terrible act of, of murder where a man in it, in my mind, 
was demon-possessed because he was hearing voices who walked in with a gun and killed, if I'm not mistaken, 18 people and injured 13 more. That's murder. No way around it. A couple of days later, yes, he was found dead. He took his own life. But again, that's murder. And as a Christian, one has to ask, why isn't anything being done? If you believe in the Ten Commandments, and the Sixth Commandment, which is the number six, has to do with man, You shall not murder. Exodus 2013. I did a uh, several lessons on the sixth commandment. And I go back to it because my feeling is that in the three plus years that I did it, or four plus years, three to four years that I did it, Things have gotten worse. Yes, I read about those that say capital punishment is wrong. I've read where Christians have said that the, the law is outdated, that that was the Old Testament, but we're in the New Testament. I've heard the excuses. And I revert back to the main incident. So before we get into the remedy, let's talk a little bit about murder and how God views it, not how I view it or you view it. But this is how God views it. God says, you shall not murder. That means if you put a gun in your hands or a knife in your hands or a weapon in your hands or you use your hands, to kill somebody, you murdered them. You did it. Now, we're talking strictly about human beings purposely taking another person's life. Purposely. I'm not talking about where you get into a car accident and... Let's say you had a mechanical failure, your brakes went out, and you hit somebody and killed them. This is purposely taking another person's life. Man in his infinite wisdom has made this a complex issue. Because his quest is thinking what's right, what's moral, and what's legal. What happens if a person is on death row and is put to dead, death, and yet he's found innocent later due to evidence? Yes, I agree. That's happened. And it's very sad for the person and for the family. But God had the solution before that would have happened. He has the solution. But man says, oh, no, that's not good enough for him. Turn to Deuteronomy 19.15. Read what it says. One witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense. 
he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You see, one witness is not enough. Deuteronomy 17.6 says, On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a man shall be put to death, but no one shall be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Now again, on the testimony of two or more witnesses, if that man was alive today, and those people that were, were uh, spared, the man should be put to death. No questions asked, no attorneys needed, no judges to go, okay, well, uh, we're going to wait and see. Uh, you're not going to sit in a prison cell for seven years or more. Numbers 3530 says, anyone who kills a person is to be put to death as a murderer only on the testimony of witnesses. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. So if it's my word against yours, and I killed somebody, unless I come out and I actually say, I murdered that person, that's a completely different story. In fulfillment of the law, Jesus teaches how to treat a believer who sins. Matthew 18, 15, and 16. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you've won a brother over. If he won't listen, take one or two others along. So there's your two to three witnesses so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You see, God's perfect plan is just that, the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now turn to John 8, 13 through 18. And this is very interesting. The Pharisees who were against Jesus, who wanted Jesus to be put to death, challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony isn't valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, and that's going to happen one day, my decisions are right because I'm not alone. You see, Jesus says, I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two men is valid. I'm the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. See, the Pharisees were so smart that they're stupid. And again, this signifies in the witness of two or more. So, I put in there on the Pharisees, men who thought they could outsmart Jesus. And yes, 
I think we have a lot of modern day Pharisees who do the same. They're trying to outsmart the creator. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not working. Your plan isn't working. So before the punishment issue is tackled, we must first establish that one witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or, or offense. Remember, we didn't have cameras, televisions, picture phones, devices, computers showing the perpetrator creating, creating the offense. Does this negate the word? No. Remember, it takes someone to record the crime as a second witness. Someone actually there with the other witness. Now, in the case where the perpetrator has admitted to the crime, then the punishment should fit the crime and justice serve in a swift manner. I want you to think about that, the swift manner. Oh, how many times have we had long triers, trials, lawyer proceedings, the waste of taxpayer money, the filled jails. Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23 say, when a person has committed a crime condemnable to death, you shall kill him and hang him upon a tree. You shall not, however, leave him upon the tree, but bury him the same day. For God abhors the hung. Consequently, you shall not defile your country that your ever-living God has given you to possess. Read that over again. Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. And I want to give you an example. A friend of mine who's a pastor and I were discussing the main murders. This first came about. A swift matter. Not a long trial. Crime committed, com condemned to death. All right. Here's the analogy. Jesus, even though he was 100% innocent, was condemned to death. How long did they wait to crucify Jesus? Wasn't days, wasn't months, wasn't years. And yet Christ died upon the cross. And they took him down. Or they buried him the same day. 
Why? Because God abhors the hung. Consequently, you shall not defile your country that your ever-living God gave you to possess. God fulfilled the law through Jesus on the hanging, or excuse me, on the crucifixion. Why should it be any different today? God's laws don't change. Man's laws do. I want you to use that as an analogy and think about that and ask, ask your pastors and, and your friends, why? Why do we have so many men and women in prisons today who admitted that they killed someone or in two or more witness have said they killed someone and yet instead of being hung or put to death they live today please tell me why Why, tell me why, judges, why your laws are so much smarter than God's and why you can't adhere to the highest law in the land. And for you people out there that don't think we can change, we can. Maybe not in my lifetime, but I can tell you this much. When Jesus comes back to reign, and he will, when he sets his feet down in Jerusalem, and he will, everything is going to change. This is God's law of the land. First, not man's, but God's. And yes, we must, as Christians, adhere to man's laws like God says. But you see, we wouldn't have the problems we had today. I want you to look at this with a guy in Maine. We may not have had that problem with a man in Maine. If he had demons. That's a completely different story for another day, but think about it. Jesus expelled demons. The disciples expelled demons. We have pastors with special gifts that can ex expel demons in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That can be done. But the subject at hand is, you shall not murder. And yet, the laws of today where men and women are in our jails overflowing with heinous crimes, with terrible murders. Are not being fulfilled. And for those men and women out there that call themselves a Christian and yet they say, oh, no, they shouldn't be murdered or I should say 
they shouldn't. They shouldn't die. Well, I'm going to tell you uh, what I'm saying. Go to the Bible and show me where. Show me where it says otherwise. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You can't do it. God's word says it. It's black and white. It's not gray. It's not, well, what if? It's black and it's white. Those are my thoughts. I stand upon the word of God and I welcome your thoughts. And I hope that we have men and women that will stand today with me. And that prayerfully, as a country, we'll do what Second Chronicles 7.14 says. If my people who are called by my name, look at it. I can't, I don't have it right in front of me. But we need to humble ourselves. We need to follow God's laws. And a lot of bad things that are happening in today's country won't happen because of the protection of God. Number six on the commandments, you shall not murder. Doesn't say kill. It says murder with the intent, murder. And frankly, we've got to follow God's laws. And once we do, Things will change immensely. I do hope that you enjoyed this. Please go to my website, understandinggodslaws.com. I am doing also a study on the Middle East, and I'll be coming out with the fourth installment on the Middle East. And who's behind all of this? Which is a very interesting question because I'm bringing forth some very, very interesting information. But in the meantime, may God bless you in all that you say and do, and may you first bless God in all that you say and do. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to to providing another lesson very, very soon.